Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. I'm Michael Nybert, Chair of War Studies at the U.S. Army War College here in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm here today with my friend Steve Vogel, former reporter for the Washington Post who covered military and veterans affairs. He was overseas for the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he's been all over the world covering war and conflict. Steve is also the author of three books, The Pentagon, A History, Through the Perilous Fight, about the battle in the Chesapeake Bay and the burning of the White House, and most recently, Betrayal in Berlin, a wonderful spy story about an incident that happened in that city during the Cold War. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to be with you, Mike. Steve, you and I first met when you were, I think the Pentagon had just come out or was about to come out, and we met on the Department of the Army's Historical Advisory Committee in a, in a Pentagon conference room, and, and I remember you telling me about that book coming out, and I think you and I had a conversation, I want to say over lunch, about the very two different kinds of writing styles that you were dealing with, one as a journalist and one as an historian. Do, do you see those as two different ways of trying to write, or do you see them as kind of synergistic and building upon one another? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I see a lot of similarities. I mean, there, there are certain things, of course, um, you know, the, the, the immediate pressure of, of getting a deadline story out uh, versus, you know, the more uh, taking the long view, um, taking, taking more time to, to really fully develop a, a story. But I think fundamentally, um, the, they're very much alike. In fact, I've, I've tried to, to use some of my journalism techniques to uh, put those to use in the, um, in the books I've written, just in terms of having a, a, a story that kind of flows, that keeps the reader engaged. I mean, that's, that's basically what, what uh, journalism is in, in a way, is trying to keep uh, readers um, hooked on a story and you kind of lead them on and they, they kind of want to know where they're going, but they, they want some surprises and uh, advent, adventures along the way. Yeah, I guess that's that's the difference, right? I mean, at least to me, trained as an academic historian, we're supposed to sort of not treat our writing as a whodunit. We're supposed to kind of, you know, give the argument up front, give the argument again and reinforce the argument at the end. We're, we're not really trained to write in quite the same way. So what you, you're, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is you don't necessarily see attention in those things. You're trying to tell uh, a narrative story in the same way in long form that you would in short form? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in a way, I'm trying to uh, tell these stories in a chronological fashion, too. I'm, 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 I'm trying not to just be sitting 50 years on and, and sort of being the voice of God and, and telling what, uh, uh, what happened in the past. I'm trying to put the reader there at the moment, understand, you know, what the, the characters uh that I'm writing about what they know, what their problems are, what, you know, what challenges they're facing, kind of put, put the reader in, in the shoes of the, the people I'm writing about. Um, and, um, again, that, that's something that I think a lot of good journalism does. And how, I mean, 
one thing we don't do as historians, of course, at least normally some do, is is to interview the people that we're writing about. So you have the opportunity when you're doing journalism, of course, you talk to people who are involved in these stories. But when you're writing something like the 1812 campaign, that's not possible. So do you find that to be a little difficult in trying to get in the minds of people that you can't talk to? You know, um, it, in a way, I was uh, fearing that might be the case. But the, the thing is that uh, so many people from that era um, wrote such beautiful letters. I mean, that it's a, uh, one of the real gems, one of the real um, pleasures of, of writing about a period, say, 200 years ago, is how much better the written form was than today. I mean, I, I sort yeah. of pity, in a way, that yeah. the historians are going to be um, trying to to piece together history based on text messages or, <laughs> or, or Twitter yeah. feeds <laughs> or something like <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, cause uh, people just really, this is, uh, you know, people like Francis Scott key or, or, uh, you know, the British Admiral who, um, who attacked, uh, Washington, uh, George Coburn. They, they, um, you know, had a, had a wonderful way of words. They, they would sit down and, and just, you know, write these, uh, these long letters with, uh, you know, brilliant asides and and witty, uh, witty comments about the the people that they were uh, encountering, and it just, uh, in a way, you you feel like you're you're, uh, in a way, interviewing these people, or at least you're having a conversation with them. Particularly if you could find a, you know, a series of letters that that go back and forth, you can you can kind of sort of get a a flow of of actual conversation uh, rather than you know just dry words from memorandum or something like that you you can uh you can actually have these characters speak again uh, in the words that they were actually using at the time frustration for me is i'll hear somebody or, or read something where someone will say well i wish i had more time to tell you about x and i'm thinking no no that's what i want to hear you know you can't you, you can't talk to the person and say tell me more about that or ask a question that they're not addressing so sometimes the frustration is that the sources aren't telling you the information that you actually want. And sometimes it's not telling you the information in the format that you want. Yeah. I mean, in, in doing um, interviews, you know, for the Berlin book, I, I remember uh, one of the army Corps of engineers uh, officers I spoke with was, you know, he, he, um, <laughs> I reached him, you know, three or four times uh, over the telephone I was trying to set up an in-person interview. And he was, um, you know, he's about 88 years old at the time. And, and he had great stories to tell, but he was always, you know, so busy with what he was doing at the moment that um, he said, well, you know, uh, well, let's talk soon. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm working on a family history project. And, you know, about the fourth time I said, I'm going to keep you on the phone. Let's just, you know, I just kept on asking him questions about, um, you know, well, well, tell me a little bit about this first. And, and, you know, you, you kind of get a conversation going and, um, you know, I hate to say it particularly in, uh, when you're dealing with people who are in their, their late eighties or nineties, you don't know uh, when you're going to get another chance to, to speak with them. And you, uh, that's always my first priority in, in working on uh, a book of fairly recent history is to, to get to the people involved as soon as possible. Cause you never know what the, what might happen down the road. So what's your academic background? Were you a history major or journalism major as an undergrad? I was actually a political science major at, at the College of William and Mary, uh, what they called it the government department. But um, I took a lot of history at William and Mary, and I also, you know, took a lot of English courses. And then uh, 
for as a, as a graduate student, I was at uh, studying international relations at uh, Johns Hopkins um, SICE, the, the School of Advanced mm-hmm. International Studies. So uh, where I studied with uh, Elliot Cohen in his uh, strategic studies program, which really focuses a lot on military history. So I I, I did have a lot of exposure from, from that standpoint, but I'm not a formally trained historian uh, such as yourself. <laughs> So, or or a formally trained journalist, or did that did, did that come at some point as well? You know, with with journalism, I, I kind of uh, come from the old school where uh, you know, back when I first started working at uh, a newspaper in the early '80s, a lot of a lot of editors still preferred their reporters to get you know their their training their journalism training in the field versus in a school, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, you, you kind of, uh, the first newspaper I worked for in, was in Alexandria, Virginia, and it was a, a little weekly that covered, you know, everything from the, uh, you know, all the city council and the, the police and courts to, you know, what was going on with the, the Alexandria minor league baseball team, the, the Dukes, um, that they used to have. And, and so you, you, as a journalist, you, you get to do a little bit of everything. I felt at times I was doing everything, but, you know, sweeping up the floors at night because you're, you're working, you're taking photos, you're, you're helping with the the layout of the stories and you really, you learn the business. And I, I had a, a great editor, uh, Jim Coldsmith, who, you know, worked for the AP over in Tokyo and um, had lots of experience. And for me, that was, I think, a better way to learn journalism than going to journalism school where, to, to my way of thinking, I, I would rather have had uh, the time to study history and political science, because those are often things that I, I write about um, then learning the the craft of journalism in, in school. I, I felt it was better for me to to actually learn by doing. And this is the kind of newspaper that I mean, unfortunately, we just don't have that many of anymore, right? I mean, the, yeah. the industry has changed so uh, much. Oh, it's horrible. So obviously, I mean, you, you didn't you didn't go overseas covering a war for a newspaper in Alexandria. So, what, what was the first overseas assignment that you had? Was it Berlin? Well, basically what happened was, uh, you know, I was working as a, a local journalist uh, uh, in Northern Virginia. I really enjoyed it, but I, I did want to go overseas. And and you're right, the uh, the journal, uh, the Alexandria Journal that I was working for didn't <laughs> have need of a, you know, coverage from, from Germany or anywhere else in particular. Yeah, probably that didn't was, have a Sarajevo <laughs> bureau in that, no. in that newspaper, right? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> but uh, what happened was the, uh, the journal... Um, was actually owned by the Army Times Publishing Company. So uh, the Army Times folks were right upstairs from from us, um, you know, based in Northern Virginia. And I just, uh, you know, I, I knew the editor of Army Times and I, Tom Donnelly, and I said, hey, um, if I went over to to Germany, uh, would you be interested in some freelance stories? And he was like, yes, this was... Uh, and this, this was my- what year? 1989. This is, you know, the, the summer basically of, of 89. So about, uh-huh. this is three, four months before the wall came down, but you know, things were percolating <laughs> a little timing. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wish I could say I, I really knew what was going to happen, but the, the truth is a, a friend of mine wanted to go to Oktoberfest and I said, Oh, well I'll, I'll go with you. We'll go to Oktoberfest. I'll, I'm going to stick around and, you know, try my, my luck at freelancing. So, I mean, that, that's basically the, the good timing I had. No, we're going to work on that story because of your knowledge of history. You knew something was going to happen, so you you wanted to get there. To, so, did, did you had been to Berlin uh, before, right? If I remember, you you had been there with your father. Is that right? Yeah. So my my dad was based uh, in Berlin as a undercover officer with the CIA. Something I knew nothing about, but uh, of course uh, would eventually learn many years later. 
but uh, we were there. He, he was stationed there starting in 57. Uh, I was born in 1960, and the, the wall went up uh, while we were there, which is a, a pretty exciting time, needless to say. And, you know, I'd gone back to, to Berlin um, as a uh, German language student, basically after finishing high school, I'd, where I uh, studied German. My, my class, uh, three or four classmates in our, our German teacher, uh, went on a, a long bike trip mostly through Germany. So, you know, we had plenty of chances to, to use our German staying in youth hostels. And we went to Berlin at that time and through Checkpoint Charlie. And, you know, that was, of course, uh, very dramatic and exciting. This was uh, 1978, so the, very much the height of the Cold War. And so coming back again in 89 as a journalist was, I certainly felt a connection to the city and having been there when the, the wall went up to be lucky enough to, to be there when it came down was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable, actually, to be there when it went up and when it came down. Uh, right, so yeah. Did do you think that experience being in Germany, I mean, did, did that help to sharpen your kind of interest in history and the way that big stories kind of have a background to them? Yeah, I mean, um, certainly um, having that life experience in, in Berlin. And we also, you know, my dad was also stationed in, in Mexico and Islamabad, Pakistan and Argentina. So having that experience as a kid kind of uh, uh, living in these pretty exotic places and being somewhat connected to, to big events that were happening around the, the globe certainly you know fostered a, a curiosity I guess and 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 a um, you know an interest in in um, learning more about uh, some of these places where we lived and being aware of some of the the history that I might not have had that that experience if I if I just been growing up in the states yeah because I think it's one of those things I think too many historians we write sometimes about the past without necessarily connecting it to the future and too many journalists write about the present without understanding the past that created what they're writing about and you you have the background to kind of do both which is important and the you know the Berlin book is a pretty good example of that and an understanding of how it how the, how the time period you're writing about, this espionage story that you tell, uh, how that came to be in the first place and why it matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, learning the, the backstory, as uh, you know, we sometimes call it, is, is just really, I think, critical for, for telling the story smartly or in, in a way that, you know, you uh, can, can really explain better to your readers why certain things are happening or why they matter and what the the, the stories on some of the, the characters you're, you're, you're trying to um, introduce to the readers. You know, you don't just kind of throw, for example, the, the CIA Berlin-based chief who's a, a, a prime character in the, in the Berlin book, you know, Bill Harvey. You don't just want to throw him out there and just, you know, because he's kind of a, <laughs> an interesting character, you know, who throws martinis down and, you know, carries about six or eight guns uh, on, on his person as he's uh, going to to virtually anywhere he's going he's he's uh he's loaded with <laughs> ammunition and and weaponry you kind of want to tell where these people came from and or he, that's even more so of, of george blake the uh you know the british spy who who ends up um uh betraying the tunnel because you know he has a, a pretty fascinating backstory so yeah i think uh, that that is an important part of uh of what what i try to do as a as a journalist and a, and a writer of an uh, of nonfiction history. And, and so much of this, so the, the two books that, 
two of the books you've done have been very modern. The Pentagon, a building that you worked in a lot, that you must have been thinking about the history of that building every day. Uh, then Berlin, where you have this very close history uh, to that city. Then you write this book on 1812, which I know some of the events took place very close to where you live, but it's a very different time period. How, how hard was it for you to sort of get your head into the early 19th century? We historians typically don't jump out of time periods all that often. If we do, it's usually a challenge for us because the specialist in that specialists in that time period uh, sometimes push back on us a little bit. So did yeah. you feel you had a little more freedom to do that than maybe I would have? You know, I guess it's, it's a certain, um, you know, ignorance and arrogance <laughs> that a journalist has to think that, oh, I'll just parachute, you know, into this uh, place and time and, and see what I can find out. I, I think, you know, to me, um, first of all, the, the, the specialists, the historians that I encountered uh, on the 1812 story were just uniformly gracious and helpful and just, they, you know, it's a fairly small fraternity, say, compared to the, the Civil War or a period like that. So the people I encountered, you know, everybody from Don Hickey, who's the sort of the dean of 1812 history, to some of the specialists uh, in the Chesapeake uh, theater that, that I was writing about, you know, people like uh, Ralph, Ralph Eshelman, they were just, you know, wonderful hosts. I, I went, I, you know, I'd go on tours with Ralph. We, we would uh, go by boat and land to all these sites. Um, they really embraced me and, you know, they, they kind of, I think, welcomed in a, in a sense, having a fresh eye, you know, and someone who was enthusiastic about the story. I mean, that, that's the other thing that you have to have. It, 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 to, to me, it, it's not so important, you know, whether that's your specialty or, you know, this is, oh, you know, what you, it's it's more importantly uh, more more important that you you really feel enthusiastic about the story and and to me yeah. um the the entire uh, story the of the Chesapeake campaign and the war of 1812 was just amazing and when one that's you know pretty much overlooked in american history by a lot of folks this is something i do all the time when people come to me and they say i've got an idea to write a book on x i, I say to them are you ready to live with x for the next 5 7 8 10 years of your life because that's what it very well could be it's it's very difficult to sort of close the door on a project like that yeah i mean and, and completely true and i i i have withdrawal all the time with the uh the 1814 stuff these days and in fact you know um some of the the folks i met are are you know disappointed that I, um, mad at me that, <laughs> that I moved, you know, 150 years to the future, to the cold war, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm still in touch with them. And I, and, and I, you know, I don't feel like I'm closing the door on that forever because, you know, I'm, I still have that, that bug that, uh, there's sure. so many great stories, uh, to go back to there. And so I, I'm definitely, I've kept all my, my notes and, and materials and, and books. They're overflowing, uh, in my office as we speak. Yeah, I think we all have that problem. You know, another thing that you and I have in common, and I don't, I don't think when I, when I first met you, I wasn't working yet at the Army War College, but we both have that sort of historical mind, and we work every day with with the DoD, and we work every day with kind of looking at the way that th that military professionals deal with problems that we've looked at in the past. So I guess I'm curious too whether your your face as an historian and your face as a journalist whether each of those helps you understand the other a little bit better, because I think that working at the War College has helped me to understand the way that organizations like Army solve problems today. It helps me better understand how they solved them in the past. Has that been true for you too? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, having both of those hats really helps you, you know, view the other. I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, I, I read stories in the newspapers or uh, elsewhere in the media that, you know, I can see really leave out important historic contexts. And, you know, and, and I, I can completely understand the frustration of, you know, someone who's, um, who's, who's a specialist in that field, who's, who sees all the um, mischaracterizations or, or just uh, misunderstandings that are perpetuated in, in um, a lot of media accounts that, you know, repeat the same mistakes over and over. It's very frustrating. But, you know, on the other hand, I can also understand where, where the, the journalist is coming from, where they sometimes get hammered by a historian for, for not including all the context or everything. And, and the, the journalist has, you know, oftentimes, a you know, a, a set amount of space or, yeah, or a couple hundred words. Yeah. Right. You're, right. Or, or even, yeah. um, or just, you know, the, the need to keep the story moving and not lose the reader um, with too much detail. And I, I'm someone who, who is constantly, you know, fighting that battle because, as a newspaper reporter at the Post, I was always trying to, you know, cram more stuff in, and the editors were saying, "Wait, the story's too long. We got to cut this." But this is so important. And so it's like it's a, it's a constant battle where you you're, you want you want to keep the story, you know, concise and and clean, but you you want it to be as accurate as possible. It's a it's a constant battle. So we're running out of time already, which is unfortunate, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to ask you what your experience working in archives is like, because for most professional historians like myself, you know, that's a formal training process we go through to try to figure out how to do that. And I'm guessing you didn't have a master's or PhD level history class on how to deal with archives. So what was that like? Especially well, for the 1812 book to, to step into something that must have been unfamiliar to you. Am I right? Um, not completely because, um, what a, at, uh, uh, at William and Mary, I had some great history professors that, um, you know, that made us really work through the archives. So, you know, I, I took a course on the invasion of North America was basically looking at the uh, colonization from the perspective of native Americans. And I, my professor just had us go, go way back into the William and Mary's amazing library to, to find, you know, the, the primary records of, of these, uh, you know, what was going, the interactions um, from three or 400 years ago. And also at, at uh, SICE with the, the Strategic Studies Program, Dr. Cohen was a real stickler for archival yes, research. Is. Yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I learned a lot from, from both of those programs. And then as a journalist, I was always applying that. I was always, you know, even as a reporter in Alexandria, the local reporter, I was always going to the, um, some of the local history archives in Alexandria or elsewhere and looking, you know, working with the local historians to, to find, um, you know, some, some of the archival material. So I think part of it, uh, came naturally to me anyway, but also I was lucky to have have teachers um, at all levels who, who kind of emphasize that. Yeah, I had that experience in Ann Arbor too, working as an undergraduate. We got to work in 19th century documents and I, I was amazed that they would let an undergraduate, you know, pull out these civil war letters from Michigan soldiers and, and let us kind of flip through them. I, I was stunned that I'm still stunned at what they let researchers just walk off the streets and look at at places like the National Archives. Yeah, um, I mean, I was amazed by that too. In the the 1814 um, campaign, you're, you're handling letters that you know Francis Scott Key or 
or, yeah. or other figures wrote, you know, personally, you're just, uh, you, you, you really feel nervous actually touching them. French military archives have these beautiful hand-drawn full color Napoleonic maps that they'll just let people take out and look at it. I'm still astonished. I understand it's a little harder to see them now than it was when I saw them maybe 20 years ago. But right. um, so I want to ask you a couple more quick questions because we are running out of time. Are you working, are you working on or thinking about a book next or are you not at that stage just yet? I'm thinking about um, uh, uh, actually the, the, uh, a book about the Korean war. I'm not, um, haven't decided yet, but one of the, one of the stories I covered as a reporter, uh, involved the, uh, the U S army, um, experience at chosen reservoir. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I covered, uh, during the 50th anniversary of, of the Korean war back in, in 2000, I met a lot of those guys. Uh, they were, they were finally awarded a presidential unit citation for, uh, their heroism there because they, they were you know they were kind of um i guess overlooked or even worse you know the marines everybody knows the uh, the great proud marine story at, at chosen but the the army had a different experience there but i i think there was a lot of heroism and and uh just real bravery there and i've, I've always been fascinated by that story and I've, I've thought about going to going back to to look at that in in more detail well, good. That'll bring you to Carlisle because some of yeah. the sources must be up here. <laughs> definitely. They definitely are. So I want to wrap up. Would you please tell our listeners where you are actually sitting right now and tell us a little bit about your workspace because uh, you graciously invited me to come down there and I have been green with envy ever <laughs> since. Yeah, it's um, it's an old log cabin. I, I live in um, a, the tiny town of Barnesville, Maryland, which is in upper Montgomery County. And uh there's an area known as the agricultural reserve and it's, uh, you know, kind of a real mix of old homes and newer homes. But, uh, the home, um, uh, where we live is, uh, um, you know, about 200 years old and there's a, a log cabin in the back that's been restored. And I, of course, immediately claimed it as my office and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of quirky, um, you know, it could, uh, it's got a wood stove to, so I can keep from freezing to death in the, in the winter. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, all, all types of critters, um, various bugs that sometimes crawl in, but it, you know, it's wonderful because, you know, I've got, uh, kids back in the house, uh, and, uh, they're, they're, especially in past years, there could be a lot of drama and, and, uh, rage going on back in the house, but you know, out <laughs> here I'm, I'm just, you know, I've got my own world and uh, it's, it's just, I never get tired of, of sitting out here. There's these old um, hand hewn timbers and, you know, strange oddities about this, this cabin. Uh, I find anyway, help me, help me work. Well, except for the bugs, it is an absolute uh, writer's paradise to be back there. So I'm, uh, I'm envious of you. It, um, it it's a, well, must be just a perfect place to sit down and, and think. Well, Steve, yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful for you taking the time. I know how busy you are and I know how many uh, directions you're being pulled, but it was great having you here. And I hope you do work on the Chosen Reservoir book and I hope it brings you to Carlisle very often. Yeah, I would love to do that. It'd be great to, to see you again soon. Great talking to you, Steve. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu.
and have a great day.